It's great for Sandy and I to be with you here this morning. We've been in the PCA, our denomination, for a while. We've done uh, church planting, missions pastor, solo pastor, and then an executive pastor in a thousand-member church for 10 years. So when we reach a certain age and stage in life, we put it all together, and we're working now with churches that are in transition. And that's a great time to strengthen the church, and that's what we do. We go in, we usually stay 12 to 18 months doing all the duties of the ministry, but at the same time helping the church think through its past, present, and future, what God has given as a vision for that church, where it hopes to be in five or ten years, and then they can figure out what kind of pastor, what characteristics they need in a pastor to help get them to that place. And we were in South County and got a new pastor there, and now we've been at Safe Harbor and uh, living the island life, although much of that was quarantine, and we didn't see many sites, but we were outdoors a lot. And on August 15th, we called and installed a new pastor there. So we were essentially done, and so we're ready for our next assignment sometime in the months ahead. But we did uh, take uh, an extra month because uh, I'm having a cataract surgery on my eye. And uh, it is uh, not a complicated operation, but it, it, uh, you have to adjust to it. I had one eye done a week ago, and in a couple of weeks I'll have another eye done. And so you'll have to bear with me because what happens, you get a new lens on your eye. And uh, your glasses no longer really work because that prescription is now obsolete. And your brain is trying to figure out, well, wait a minute now, that eye is seeing differently. So I got my glasses here, but they don't work. And uh, so if you see me turning sideways to try to see the text, you'll understand why. This morning, we're going to look at God's Word together. There are different ways of looking at God's Word. Sometimes we take a verse and we dive deeply into it and then see how it fits with the other verses around. Sometimes we take a, a, a topic, a subject that the Scripture speaks to over the expanse of Scripture and focus on that. Both of those are exegetical and biblical, following the examples of the apostles and prophets. And uh, so both are good preaching. How about this morning we do a little bit of both? Would you like to do that? We'll combine the two. Uh, we'll home in on some passages and we'll focus on a topic. Our topic really is uh, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Ben, are we doing good? Now, the church, let's define it quickly. Uh, the church is not everybody in the world. The church is those people that God has called out of the world to be members of the body and the church of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is something that happens in the heart. The reason everybody isn't a member of it is because Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born from above a second time, physically and now spiritually. If Nicodemus had been born from above, he would not have needed to be told, you must be. So there is a categorical distinction among humankind. In fact, John and uh, Jesus in John 17 in his high priestly prayer said, I am not praying for the world. I'm praying for those whom you gave me out of the world. So the church is composed of those people that God has called to himself and given to Jesus as a gift. 
past, present, and future, living and dead, Old Testament, New Testament, all of uh, both uh, genders, all races, uh, all countries, all tongues, many of them have passed. They're dead. Some are living, and they're future to be born if he tarries in his return. Now, that is called the church universal, invisible, because we can't see a person's heart. Only God can do that. And we can't look at a person's heart and see if they have been born from above. We can look at their fruit. Is that apples or oranges? We can look at the fruit, but we can't look at the heart because it's called the church universal invisible. But being sensible people, by that we have five senses and having a body, we also have the visible church that exists in time and space. Human beings, you see. And that's what you are this morning, and that what is what I am. We're members of this local branch expression of the body, the people of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that we still can't tell whose heart has been changed, who has been born from above. We can kind of inspect their fruit, but we can be fooled, as has been evidenced uh, again and again. Uh, recently and in the past. So this is the church local, the church visible, and it's made up of all those who have called, uh, God has called to himself, and those who profess, that's how we figure out who is who, is simply, I am, I have accepted Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and their children, and their children. Uh, because uh, we see with the nation of Israel, that when someone was born, they were part of that covenant nation, and they gave them a sign of the covenant, circumcision. And so now, when children are born to believing parents or members of a church, then they are members, and we give them the sign through baptism. We're talking about the church. Now, let us affirm something about the church, and it comes to you this morning from that text that was read. The church is equal in its membership. We don't have categories of membership. Have you noticed that? Old members, new members, male members, female members, uh, different that. We don't, we don't have any categories. There's just one category. Well, actually, there are two. Uh, members in good standing and members under discipline. But until we get into that category, everybody is equal. Have you noticed that? When it comes time for you to call a pastor, every member has an equal vote not modified. And that's what we find in the body of Christ. Everyone is equal. But we also find that there's differentiation in the body of Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says you've got heads and hands and feet and toes and internal organs. That lends more toward the functionality of the church. Equal in essence, but different in gifting, ability, and functioning. That makes it great because it means each one of us has something special that makes us unique. Uh, a talent, a spiritual gift, a heart passion, life experience, all those things combine to make us unique. So Christians, of course, have to live in tension. You know, we're one body and we're diverse, you see. God calls us, but we must believe. Christians have to live with this tension of two things seeming to us being true at one time. And so we live with that tension in the body. One body with many different units. 
but that's what helps to make it strong. So with that as an introduction, I want to talk to you about the diversity of the body and the different roles uh, that people play. I sometimes would tell uh, potential officers when I was training them, I would explain to them that there are many things going to being an officer, uh, calling, ability, uh, preparation, maturity. I said, but even with all those characteristics, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham, now passed, would not be a good candidate for elder in our church. Now, why is that, you say? Do you know why not? Well, he's Southern Baptist, but no, that's not it. He speaks with a Southern accent. You don't think that's qualifying, do you? He traveled too much. He traveled too much. He couldn't make meetings. He couldn't do his duties. So you see, there are different abilities. The summit of abilities Paul in Paul's uh, world of the church is the word partner. The word partner. If I can read it. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about collecting uh, money for the poor in Palestine, Jerusalem. But he's had a mix-up with those in Corinth, and it has gotten so bad they insulted him to his face, an apostle, and those whom he led to Christ. So rather than get severe with them, he left. He was run out of town. Well, so was Calvin from Geneva. It's not unusual. And so he writes from afar. I haven't given up on you, but I'm not coming back yet. And so he sends his right-hand man, Titus. Timothy was his left-hand man, Epaphroditus. Titus was his right-hand man. Titus got sent to the tough situations. You know, I'm a Titus. Uh, we've done five interims with uh, interim pastor ministries, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, about an hour north of the city. You know what the city is, don't you? You think it's D.C., don't you? You think it's Washington. Yeah, no, no, you don't. And, uh, and two here, you know, we get like a paid vacation at this phase in our, our stage of life. And uh, what was the point I was going to make? Did any of you catch that before I departed? So I'm like the Titus. I get, uh, Sandy and I, we get sent into tough situations and uh, challenging situations. We're just losing a pastor's a challenging situation. So Titus went there and helped them restart the offering. And he's talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I thank God you put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and is on his own initiative. Uh, I've written here, Titus was passionate, personable, and proactive. And he was also uh, trained. That's something, another sermon for another time, and you can look at that later. But down here in uh, chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 8.23, as for Titus, he is my partner. Koinonia, that's the word uh, for communion. He's my partner. A partner is someone that not only shares the work, it's someone that has made an investment. Have any of you have an, any investments? If you own a home, you have an investment, don't you? Yeah, you put money down, you might have a mortgage or you bought it. And uh, if the thing needs repairs, 
comes out of your pocket, doesn't it? If, as we've seen in the last year or two, the house increases in value, you are that much richer. If it's 2008 and the bottom drops out of the market, and we were up in Pennsylvania, we were in a resort area, and uh, many people were underwater. You know what that means? They owed more on their home than what they could sell it for. So if they sold their home and relocated for another job in another state, they'd have to throw in about $20,000 to pay off the mortgage. That's what a partner is. A partner is someone who is invested and reaps the profit, responsible for the expenses, but also can share the loss. That's what often church members are. And that's why when we come into churches, I, every church I've been in, I've had people that would not join, would not be a member. They had various reasons, but one of the reasons was I was in a church and it had a split and it was so painful. I'll never do that again. I was a partner and I lost. Not money, but heart, emotions, pain. Who was it? Sam Clemens said, John, uh, Mark Twain, if a cat sits on a hot stove, he not only will not sit on that hot stove again, he won't sit on any stove. So people got hurt. People would do that. My parents divorced. It was so traumatic, I'm not risking marriage. That happens to us. There are dangers in partnership. But it's also great opportunities to profit, to be a partner. Paul said, Titus is my partner. No higher appellation could be given by the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you how he says that. We're going to jump down in Philemon. Now, of course, we could spend our whole time in Philemon. Uh, a wealthy man who was a Christian who had a church in his home. Of course, their homes were big haciendas because there were a lot of servants and a lot of slaves and a lot of multi-generational families. And it was a large household. And there was a church in his home because he was a believer. And he had a slave named Onesimus, means useful. And that slave, for whatever reason, fled. That was a dangerous thing back in the Roman Empire because 55% of the people in Rome were slaves. And they were very careful about punishing those who stole or ran, well, much less rebelled, because it could have been a societal upheaval. Uh, one rich uh, Roman had a slave that uh, rose up and killed one of the family members of the patriarch. And so the Roman the Senate decided that the 87 slaves in his household, all of them would be put to death as an example of a rebellious slave who committed murder. It was a dangerous thing. And so Onesimus fled and he stole. He took some traveling money with him. Somehow he found himself in Rome, the cesspool of the Roman Empire, the biggest city where he could hide better. And somehow, oh, we could focus on this. That's a whole other sermon set for Onesimus. He met Paul. In chain, not in chains, in prison, with freedom of movement. Paul led him to Christ. He became born again. And in this letter, Paul says, I need to keep him, he's my dear son, but 
Philemon, I'm sending him back to you because he's still your slave and he owes you money. But instead of punishing, would you accept him as a fellow Christian, as a brother? And therefore, Paul pointed out that nowhere where Christianity flourishes can slavery exist. And that has proven true down through time. But the main thing I want you to see here in the book of Philemon is the terminology that he uses. First of all, to Philemon, our dear friend. ESV says our, 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 our dear uh, fellow worker. So there's a chi and and in between there. Most translations say dear friend and fellow worker. Let me go and tell you where we're going. The word friend, that's a category. The word fellow worker, the word soon, S-U-N, is put together with these other words, worker, fellow, worker. Friend, fellow, worker, and then he uses the term fellow soldier. And then at the end, he talks about fellow prisoner. These are... Look at that. It's up on the screen. Little wonders over here. Yes. I was at... uh, Safe Harbor, we had about 250 people after the church split on a Sunday morning. And the next Sunday there was me and three technicians and a camera. What a time we'd been through. I became a YouTube star. I got up to 200 people watching online. And then I was looking at YouTube one day looking at some squirrel hunting videos. I grew up in North Carolina, we hunted. Squirrel hunting, shooting squirrels out of trees. And I noticed that he had two million views. (laughs) Hmm. My stardom lost some of its luster. Dear friend, he says. Dear friend, see the first level in any church in any life is friendship. Friendship is based on common interest. So you could be friends with anybody if you have a common interest. It could be cooking. It could be golf. It could be engineering. It could be fishing. It could be canasta. It could be music. Anywhere you have a common interest, you have an opportunity for friendship. This is our touch point with those outside the church, friendship. I saw a church one time, and I was looking at a book, and they had small groups, and it was about fifth, half an inch thick. I said, what in the world? How'd you get so many small groups? They define small groups not only by ministry, the Bible, but by friendship. They had every kind of small group you could imagine. Geo, what's it called? Yeah. Sandy and I were out walking the other day. We saw a guy go over, and, and there was a little thing sticking in the ground, and he clicked it, and it was uh, like geolocation, but it was uh, little things in the ground. Friendship. Are you using those connections to build friends? Because through common interests, you can move up to the next level and then invite them to church. Invite them to your small group one that's based on the Bible. And through friendship, they may become interested because they're interested in you. What else might we have in common, you see? 
The next level, Paul says, our dear friend, uh, let me go ahead and say this. What's here saying? Fellow worker, fellow soldier, fellow prisoner. The word fellow, soon, it means together. Uh, what comes after friendship? Fellowship. And all these three words talk about fellowship. If friendship is based on common interest, fellowship is based on common ministry. See the difference? You have to be doing ministry to have fellowship. You see? You have to be involved in praising Jesus Christ and worshiping God, maybe even serving him and giving. That's the difference between friendship and fellowship. You can never have fellowship with your non-Christian friends. You can have deep, rewarding friendship, but you can never have fellowship because they don't worship the same God that you do. That's why a Christian and non-Christian can't be married. There's no fellowship. You see. So there's fellowship in the church, but there's friendship, an excellent item, moving to fellowship. And then he's got another word here, Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. You see, in every church there has to be workers. Well, of course, Sandy and I have been involved in church planting in Minneapolis and in Atlanta and in Charlotte. We've helped plant churches. And we would often meet in schools or a place like this. Now, I don't know how it works with you. When we planted a church in Minneapolis, we were meeting in school, Dakota County Elementary. And we would get there, and we'd have this huge trailer that had to be unpacked. Uh, hymn books, uh, carpets for the floor, cribs, baby wipes, electronic equipment that had to be set up. All that had to be set up before anybody came. We had hundreds. So they'd get there an hour or two ahead of time, these workers, you see. And in the winter at Code Elementary, they didn't pay to plow uh, two, three, four feet of snow. So we paid to have it plowed. But that didn't include shoveling sidewalks. So we had one team that got there at 8 and set up the electronics and everything else. We had another team that got there at 7 to shovel the sidewalks. And then we'd have the hundreds of people that came and figured that little elves did it overnight. Or just, it would just, the sidewalks miraculously shovel themselves. Or the electronic equipment got set up. Elves do it, of course, right? No, workers do it. Workers do it. A church cannot exist without workers. So there may be friendship, and you may have fellowship, but there has to be workers in a church, or the work cannot proceed. To Aphia, our sister, maybe that's Philemon's uh, wife. To Archippus, maybe their son, our fellow soldier. God gave gifts to men, and among them apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. There are some that move from being workers to being soldiers. What's the difference? Well, uh, every Christian is a soldier. We're to contend for the faith. In Ephesians 6, we're giving the sword of the word. We're giving a helmet. We're giving a shield. Every Christian is a soldier. If no one told you that, let me uh, enlighten you. You will be fighting the world, which will be fighting you, because those who are not friendly to Jesus are not going to be friendly to his followers. You'll be fighting your own flesh, and you'll be fighting the devil. 
But some are given a special charge, and that charge is to put aside worldly affairs and focus on leading the battle and going where you're sent. Sandy and I have a lovely home outside Charlotte, North Carolina. We visit there two weeks out of the year, once in January and once in July, to see our doctors every six months. We go where we are sent. Now, even if you're an officer, an elder, a deacon, or a committee chair, or a women's leader, you have the luxury of living in the same home, maybe near your family, maybe not. But there are soldiers in the Church of Jesus Christ that go where they're sent. And they get on the front line and they pay the price. I still have wounds from Safe Harbor. But they'll heal. Some of your officers have wounds and some of your women leaders. These are soldiers. These are the different categories in the church. Friendship. Fellowship. Fellow worker. Fellow soldier. So I'm going to ask you, if you're a part of this church, what category are you in? Each and all are great, but each and all are needed. Are you building friendships? Have you moved on to fellowship that you're engaged in a ministry with someone, you see? Have you moved up to being a worker and helping the church function? Has God called out from among you some soldiers? You could call them officers. You could call them pastors. In fact, that's what you're looking for in a pastor is a soldier. Our new pastor on Ken Island just came from uh, Cleveland. He relocated. His home state is Cleveland. But he relocated because that's what God called him to do. We couldn't pay him enough and we couldn't convince him, but God called him. But look at this. He goes down here. Uh, now in verse 23 at the very end, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, my fellow prisoner. There were, were a word soldier tells you that there's a war on and some are taken prisoner because a world that doesn't like Jesus Christ doesn't always like his followers. And it may come to the point, perhaps rapidly approaching, that you will need to decide, will I be committed to Christ when that becomes a crime? Will I speak out for Christ from his word when that becomes either chargeable? Am I willing to go that far? You may be asked in your lifetime to do that. Certainly your fellow believers throughout time and around the world this day are being asked to do that. And some are paying the price. It comes with the territory. I know someone told you when you became a Christian you'd have peace and uh, prosperity and peace and everything and health and wealth. That wasn't true. You may get that in God's sovereignty. But you may get other things. You may get health problems. You may get family tensions. You may be get static at work. You may get challenges in your world. If this pattern in Philemon holds true, all these categories 
are represented in the church of Jesus Christ. But I want to finish up by showing you here in verse 17 of Philemon, he says, if you consider me a partner, see, we've come back to that word, partner. If you consider me a partner. See, that's his highest title, his highest appellation, to be a partner. Because workers are providing work, you see. Soldiers are providing lives, but partners, anybody can do that. You buy in, maybe with your money, but here you buy in with your heart. And with your heart goes your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's taking a risk because Paul is saying, Philemon, I want you to forgive the money, the debt that was stolen from you. Forgive the debt. In fact, he says, I'll pay it. Don't take it out in his flesh or his skin. Forgive it. Suffer the loss in order to gain a brother. You see? That's what a partnership is. I'm invested. And I may gain or I may lose, but I'm still invested. Now, for time, I want to show you later, if you go to Philippians, he calls the whole church in Philippi partners. Here's another sermon. He said, you were partners with me in ministry. Acts 16, where Lydia became a Christian and they started a church in her house. He says, you were partners with me in mistreatment when I was sent to jail and some of you are suffering because of the resistance of your community. And he said, now you join with me in mission. You sent me money so that I could go to other churches and not have to work, but could spend my time ministering. Partners in ministry, partners in mistreatment, partners in mission. But he said, you Philippians partnered with me. So any Christian, any church can be a partner. You can be friendship, fellowship, fellow worker, fellow shoulder, fellow prisoner. But any Christian can rise to that high level of partner. Wouldn't it be great when you call your next pastor or when you elect your new officers, you say to them, we want to partner with you. We'll work, we'll soldier, we'll fellowship, but we want to partner with you. We want to sit on a hot stove, take a risk, extend my heart. We will partner with you. Will you partner with us? How excited would a pastor be to come to this church where there was friendship and fellowship and fellow workers and fellow soldiers, people willing to be fellow prisoners. But most of all, they're saying, we're willing to partner with you. Here's my heart. I'm willing to take a chance. Because I may get burned, I may get scarred, I may get hurt. But God can heal that. But if I never take a chance, have you thought about marriage? It may start with a friendship. And then hopefully it goes to fellowship where you are involved in a church and a ministry together. And then you get married and you become fellow workers. 
and then you start having children and building a family and now you're fellow soldiers. You go to a town and take a job that you never thought about because you need to provide for the family. You buy a bigger house than you the apartment that you had. You take on more responsibility because you're soldiering. You're committed. But at the bedrock of all of it is you and your spouse are partners. And you have plotted your charge. You have said in sickness or in health, in wealth or in poverty, I'm committed. Titus was a partner. The Philippians were partners. Philemon was a partner. And Paul asked big things of him. Would you consider being a partner in your church with your new pastor? Using the unique talents, the treasure, the time that he's given you to make this church more effective and stronger. That's what Paul asks. Paul patterns. Paul preaches. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you created the church as one body, but with diversity. And in that diversity, we see unity and strength. We ask that it might be true of this church. In Christ's name.